0: Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, looking for my good friend, Seth Robinson. Seth.
1: Hey, how are you doing?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm okay. I was telling you before we started recording that I'm really tired. I don't know why you told me to get vitamin D. I, uh, you know, can try to get outside a little bit more, get out of my cave a little bit, but, you know, Mm -hmm. I... I pushed through my workout this morning, which felt like the worst idea in the world. I don't know why we do that. Like what's, what's even the point a little longer and ate waffles.
0: No, they say that the, uh, the workouts that you most don't feel like doing are the ones that end up being the most rewarding. That might be crap in the end of the day, at the end of the day. But, you know, um, sometimes I believe it. I have good workouts when I don't want to do them, but um, I think we're all kind of a little bit um, tired because of being indoors and it's, you know, just winter prolonged darkness of this spring, this early spring. And I don't know. I think we all need sun. Everybody needs sun.
1: Everybody needs some sun. So, yeah, I'll try. I'll try to get some later today.
0: Yeah, and, go outside. You've know. you got gar- you, you. You garden. You got to just get outside and don't be looking down the whole time at the at the plants or whatever you're doing and look up at the sky and get some sun on your face.
1: Well, the sun will get to me whether I'm looking at it or not. I, I assume. Okay, so. So
0: that's true. Well, listen, I, I've been trying to convert you to coffee for like years now, and you just aren't not coming over to the dark side here. No,
1: <laughs> no, I'm trying that clean living. That's working so great for me. So. Oh, All right. Well, well,
0: let's get into our stuff today, show. Yeah, we?
1: today we're going to continue our discussion about your state of the channel report. We had yeah. uh, John Harden from Avic last week diving into relationships with vendors and partners, which is definitely one uh, prominent part of your report, but there are so many other parts. And so just the two of us are going to kind of tackle it today and dive through the rest of it. And then this report is going to be up and live on our website very soon for people to check out. So uh, so why don't we jump in?
0: Yeah, I'm excited. So um, I don't know if I mentioned, I may have in the last podcast, but City uh, of the Channels, is uh, one of our you know main studies that we do, the big research studies, if you will, Uh, Every year, and this happens to be the tenth version of this. So, hooray for us! I've been involved in all ten of them, so that tells you I've been around for quite some time focusing on this study. So, you know, right there, our marketing team gets excited about that. It's kind of uh, it's kind of cool that we've been uh, been consistent about this study, Um, and I think this year is an interesting year because we it's been weird doing any study during the COVID phase of what I'd say two to three years of oddity in our life. And now that's kind of in the past. It's kind of faded. Um, and now I feel like this year's study is the first one that has kind of brought us back to an almost realistic picture of of the business world. Um, and and many might argue with me there, but um, I don't feel like I have to preface everything about with the, the the pandemic and the pandemic. And and so for the first time, I kind of take a look at what's going on. And able to look back on what's gone on with the channel in the last 10 years. And you know there's a lot of data, as you said, in this study. But I think one of the biggest takeaways is just how um, the channel is um, interesting in that it's doing two things at once. It's both very much stable in its foundational look and feel. The members who are part of the traditional channel, the infrastructure players, the hardware resellers, the solution providers, um, all of those folks are still there. They're kind of they the big bottom of the pyramid, if you will. Um, but we hear so much today about how the ecosystem is expanding. And that word has become overused, I think. But it, it, it does have value. And there are a lot more players. So when we talk about the channel changing, what I think we really mean is the channel expanding. So we're allowing a bunch of new players in who may be of different flavors of companies that you may not have seen before. Obviously, cloud and the as-a-service world has ushered in tons of funky companies like that in the SaaS world, et cetera. You've got companies that are really non-traditional that are getting into technology like those in the professional services world. You've got digital marketing firms. You've got all kinds of little, um, I call them adjacent adjacent channel companies. And that's made the ecosystem bigger, Um, but again, the foundation is still there. So we've got this kind of like the old school world and the new school world, and they're learning to play together. And I think that's one of the, one of the things that we're seeing at this very early stage of the bigger ecosystem.
1: Yeah, I think that was sort of my big takeaway too. When I read through your report, like yeah. we get really fixated on talking about what's changing, what's evolving, you know, what's new. Um, and I think that causes us to lose sight of a, a stable part of it that is very robust. And I agree with everything that you said, you know, ecosystem is maybe a little bit played out, but I think it is the right word. I think Mm -hmm. that you and I, a few years ago, were talking quite a bit about like tech enablement and we've kind of dropped that, but that's still what I think about a lot that the, the, the channel historically, that was kind of the only tech enablement there was all you were trying to do was move product and get product installed and get it set up and up and running. Yeah. But enabling technology strategy has changed now. There's so many more services around it. It's a lot less product centric. And so I think you've got a lot of firms out there that are doing some form of tech enablement. You know, they provide a service to customers. They might not be even tightly tied to a vendor. They might not be thinking about product at all. And so they might not think of themselves as being part of the IT channel. Um, but since, you know, all of us that have come from the channel, that's what we think about that, that used to be the only thing that existed, right? And so we're, we're, we're just trying to yeah. kind of like sweep that all in. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I think you're, you're right that there are these two different worlds out there. And I think it's good to acknowledge that and to acknowledge that a lot of people might not necessarily want to be part of a, another world. They, they might not have growth as one of their objectives. They're saying, Hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm selling product. I'm installing it. I'm not growing that rapidly, but I'm doing fine. I'm not looking to add new employees. I'm not looking to expand into new geographies. And all of the clients that I serve are not looking to do wild and new dramatic things with their technology. You know, they're small businesses too, and and so there's there's this notion out there that uh, if you're if you're growing, I think you you do want to be exploring these services. You want mm-hmm. to be looking into artificial intelligence. You want to be you know, playing around with emerging technologies. Yeah. But you can run a very successful business and still be doing everything that you're doing. And it's probably important to say, how can you continue doing that better? You know, how are you refining that and optimizing that? And I think that's an interesting discussion that doesn't necessarily have to play in the world of emerging technology and new gee whiz, you know, shiny things.
0: Well, you make a very good point. I mean, a lot of pundits for years have been predicting the death of the channel, right? The death of the old channel, evolve or die. You get, you know, I've sat through many a keynote that have to, that has, you know, addressed the audience in that way. Clearly, that isn't the case. Um, as you said, there are companies out there that are that are doing quite well um doing exactly what they've been doing for the last 10 years or more and they are going to continue to do that. Their growth expectations may be very um uh you know minor um if at all um but they're content. There are other channel companies that are high growth, high revenue, they're ready to go and they're gonna explore all of the innovative avenues that you just talked about. Um, there's everything in between um and different flavors. And I think you know you're right that you know the companies are, are I think rather than focusing so much on changing, they're focusing on the things that they can do better and what can be sort of their calling card. And one of the things from the study that I wanted to sort of segue into is that I think a lot of channel firms have spent the last few years um, really trying to emphasize how they interact with customers from an experience level. And that was the big takeaway from we uh, you know when we asked the question you know what do you think is going to going to um, you know, keep the health of the channel on an upward trajectory. And, and and it's really about serving the customer correctly and making sure that you are the kind of business that is well-regarded, spoken highly of in terms of, I had a good experience with that company. Not they sold me a great product, but uh, you know, that That matters, but but rather, I walked away from that and had a great experience, or I'm working with that provider, and I'm going to continue to work with them because from you know from A to Z, they take my calls, they're good with support. When I have a question or don't understand thing, they understand something, they're easy to talk to, whatever it happens to be that is at you know the top of your list of what makes customer experience um, the most valuable that you're meeting that. And I think that channel's done made great strides to try to be that person. And it's very important in the era of cloud as we kind of um, abstract the vendors and manufacturers who make the products and make the stuff that we sell away from the customers so much, unless the customers are buying those products directly, and and they are a lot, um, they need help picking that stuff out. So that brings the channel in again, and we can talk about that. And we did a little bit with John um, on our last volley. But... Otherwise, the face the face to the customer is the channel company. And and really the experience that they provide is, I think, one of the bigger evolution areas than I changed my business from selling X product to this product, or I got into artificial intelligence this year. I think it's really about fine-tuning how good of a provider you actually are.
1: Right. And, and I think customer experience is a thread that can run through both sides that we've been talking about, right? It's like if you want to expand if you want to explore new things then maybe one way that you provide customer experience is by adding new services in data analytics or software development or something like that to try to expand your your customer's technology footprint and allow them to explore new things but if you kind of just want to stay more on the product side and you're still just delivering product it's still probably less about the speeds and feeds which is a thing that we often say that's not the most important thing anymore but If your customer isn't trying to you know grow too dramatically and you're not trying to grow too dramatically what other things could go into it like maybe education is a good one right like the customer would always be saying like hey i'm hearing about cloud computing or these days i'm hearing about you know chat gpt generative ai what what are those things do i need to be thinking about them Mm -hmm. and you can say you know here's what it is um this is what it looks like you know it's not a product that you're going to plug in but it's just education that you can provide because you're paying attention to the technology space probably more than you know the dentist or the lawyer in the town that you're you know serving. So yeah, I think there's a lot of things that uh, go into customer experience that can be applicable whether you're still just moving product and you're kind of a little bit more traditional, or whether you're trying to do something new and expand and change your business model.
0: Yeah, the education component is 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 interesting because. Um, As we have spoken about on Bali, you know, the the customer, the definition of customer has changed pretty radically. Um, Departments throughout organizations um, have tech budget now. So it's not just the IT department. So the person doing the buying and looking into the technology they want for their group or their team may have, you know, absolutely no actual technical experience themselves. So more than ever, that education component. Is important and where are they going to get educated, especially if they're a small company that doesn't have an IT department to go do to ask the types of questions that you just posed, like, you know, what you know, what about this AI product or what about this data an- analytics thing? Um, that's where the channel can step in and, and be the educator. And like you said, even if they're not involved in a, in a transaction after the fact, you know, the, the consulting aspect of that is something that they can charge for. That's also very lucrative. Um, and it's something that you may not sell something to the customer the first time, but you've then cemented some sort of a relationship with them that they may go back to the next time they need something. And before you know it, you become a regular provider to them. So, you know, education is very important. All these little like nuanced areas um, where the channel can fit in and be valuable to the customer is important. so, you know, I think customer experience is gonna stay there at the top of the list probably for the next 15 number of years if I do yeah. season, you know.
1: how how much do you think uh customer experience is a, a driver to change like how much drive to change do you even think that there is in the channel? you know what are you seeing in the study because I know that you've seen that profits are still looking pretty good, you know, a lot of companies feel yeah. like they're still making money like do they feel? Uh, a lot of pressure to do something different, um, or, or or how are they, they they viewing maybe the next couple of years?
0: I think that's a, the very interesting question. Um, yes, we asked a bunch of questions about profitability and how you were doing, and 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 companies like surprisingly, you know, their profit margins were up. Like I'm talking like you know sixty percent or so or more, two thirds said that their profit margins were up over the last couple of years. Um, but there's a lot of caveats to this. First of all, just because their profit margins went up, does not mean their revenue went up. Their sale, they may not be, they may not have brought in the same amount of money as they normally did. But they, their margins on 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 what they kept, their net was was bigger, and that may be because they were they did some cost cutting. They decided during COVID, which a lot of companies did. I've talked to a lot of them to. Um, you know, not hire, not do a lot of expansive things, but think internally and really get more efficient. MSPs, you know, looked at all their processes, made sure we've talked a lot about operational efficiency. So tightening the belt in all kinds of areas and make sure that you're being as is, is effective and efficient with how you run your company, that can save you a lot of money. And in the end, that ends up making you a lot of money, whether or not you had bigger sales. Um, So there's a lot of like financial, you know, magic going on here that could explain a lot of the profit margin stuff. But I do think, you know, MSPs did well during COVID for some of the reasons we've discussed, you know, remote work really gave MSPs um, a lift during, during COVID, probably unexpectedly, but all of a sudden you've got companies with all of their employees working from the kitchen table and instead of a centralized office, and they were like, oh my gosh, how do we deal with this? And you needed additional hardware to be sold to them. Uh, you needed, you know, a provider to help you figure out how you were going to maintain a network that was a, you know, a spider web now and secure it. So th- I think we've had a strange few years where there were benefits to the channel, and they did see their finances um, do okay. Um, but to answer your original question, so what is that? How does that affect whether or not they feel a need to change? It's interesting. I don't think there. Are, I think there is a there is a subset of companies that don't feel the need to change, and then there are those. Who are more forward-looking and see opportunity i i do believe regardless of what's been going on it is clear and established that if you are a hardware reseller that is probably you're, you're probably doing as good as you're going to do at this point you know your, your margins are what they are you're not going to grow much um, and I think a lot of the channel has realized that. And those companies, a lot of them are, you know, have decided finally, you know, we should make the move to managed services. We should get into more of a services type offering. And I see those business model changes happening, albeit far slower than I ever predicted, you know, ten years ago. But you, there is a consistent slow drumbeat of companies that will change their model from product reselling to more of a managed services type of uh, model. Um, and then it's the managed services model that's also evolving a little bit, and they have to make a decision about whether they move from being the infrastructure managed services provider of only remote managing networks and hardware devices and that to doing something a little bit up the stack, being a managed services provider of cloud stuff, of uh, business applications, and that takes a little bit of different of a skill set. Um, so again, to kind of spin all the way back to the beginning of this, I think you're going to see people running in different lanes. And I can't really predict, you know, how, what percentage of the 100% of the channel are running to a new dire- in a new direction and feel the need to change and which others are perfectly content to stay where they are.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point, right? That there are all these different lanes.
0: A lot of lanes. A lot of lanes. Now.
1: And even to call something the state of the channel, you know, kind of implies this homogenous... Entity that we can talk about, and that's getting more and more difficult, right? I mean, there are all these different branches that that are are happening, and managed services is probably one of the bigger ones, and and that's yeah. you know a, a a good one to focus on and one that's going to get a lot of traction. But there's a lot of other things happening too, and I, I think it'll be interesting and challenging for us to kind of figure out. How do we maybe serve all of those? And instead of trying to just throw them all into the same bucket and say, okay, you're all in the channel. So here are some things that are happening and you're going to, you know, inevitably have some companies say, well, some of that's happening for me. Some of that's not really happening for me. Yeah. Um, I've got some other interests that aren't really represented here. You know, how, what's our best model for kind of covering all of that? That'll, that'll be an interesting thing to watch. Yeah, I'm closer. starting
0: to see mini studies here in my future, Seth, like, you know, the state of <laughs> this part of the channel and that part of the channel and this part of the channel. I should note a kind of kind of related that this study was done on an. Uh, we fielded it internationally as well. So we do have some other flavors uh, of this study. So the five other regions beyond the United States, uh, we did data collection. So uh, UK and Ireland, um, DOC, which is Germany, Switzerland, Austria, um, uh, ANZ, so Austra- Australia, New Zealand. Uh, what am I missing? ASEAN, and there's one more, I think, somewhere.
1: You say UK and Ireland.
0: I think I said them, but oh. anyway, so there are five additional regions, um, and we've written our I've written report briefs, so sort of uh, summaries, but including their data. And believe it or not, there's some some. Uh, usually, there's not a lot of difference in some of these regions between their data and the U.S. data. There are some areas that there are notable differences. Um, in direction and priorities um, about what's important. So if if any of you are in some of these other regions, um, I would um, certainly point you in the direction of the report briefs when they become available for your... Uh, geography, because um, the some of the differences in the data are interesting to note. So um, I'll, I'll give a little shout out to that stuff. But um, it's a good aspect of the three big studies that we do every year. So um, sometimes we fail to uh, acknowledge it out loud. So yeah,
1: yeah. no, it's good. and It's it's interesting. I think that makes sense, especially as other regions might not have quite as much legacy infrastructure uh, built up, right. and, and maybe they're able to move in uh, a future direction a little more easily. They don't have, you know, yep. quite as many companies that are serving, you know, just a product centric mindset. So, so that might explain some of the differences, but yeah, there's definitely some interesting stuff to look at in there. Uh, any, any last words on, on this study?
0: Oh boy. Last words. Um, um, I think looking ahead, first of all, biggest takeaway is most people are feeling pretty good about the channel and that's coming out of the pandemic. Um, uh, we don't have numbers on how many companies didn't make it, but honestly, from anecdotally and just, you know, um, looking around me and looking at this data, you know, companies did okay. And um, there is some, ex- there's a lot of excitement. So that, that, that that's cool. Um, the other big takeaway I would say, and we talked about this a little bit with John, is that the, the, the dynamic between all the players has changed. So the traditional dynamic of the sort of the vendors running the show vis-a-vis partners and kind of telling them this is how we go to market and this is what we're going to do and these are the priorities and we need you to fulfill these these priorities for us that's changed and that's given the channel as we define it we know it's very fragmented a lot more leverage I think looking ahead they're they're much more focused on how they're going to run their own businesses how they're going to work with their own customers and less beholden to what vendors expectations are Um, and and interestingly and i'll leave you with this i think that may be part of the reason that they expressed quite a bit of satisfaction with their vendors this year is that they're starting to flex their wings a little feeling a little less pressed like the vendors of the boss and vendors have responded to that and and realizing that we need to offer different types of things different programs respond to our partners differently and uh we saw a big jump in satisfaction rates uh this year the partners expressed for the vendors they work with um and that would be a big takeaway there and it may be i mean this is my analysis but i do think it's that vendors are getting it and partners are, are able to kind of feel more um uh, empowered um, and have more agency in how this go-to-market thing really works for them
1: yeah Well, there's lots of good stuff in the report for sure. Like you said, there's the international components. There's just a ton of content there. Uh, Our plan is to launch this in early May. So everyone can please check out CompTIA.org to get the full report. Um, And thanks for doing that. It's a really good one. I think it uh, highlights a lot of really interesting stuff for our membership and for the broader IT industry. Absolutely. One other aspect, of course, of for any firm working on technology is trying to find good workforce and 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 good skilled people, uh, and that leads us into our career spotlight, where we're gonna hear a little bit from Eduardo and his journey in cybersecurity. I'm uh, currently on the path of becoming a homeowner. Hopefully, uh, I'm going through the uh, closing process right now. Getting this uh, position uh, with Aon Cyber Solutions has been uh, very helpful due to the salary increase that I've uh, received. So, I feel that this transition to IT has really helped me get a salary where I can, like, you know, pay the bills, save money, and then, like, you know, still have leftover uh, income where I can, like, you know, spend it as I see fit.
0: Oh, good to hear from Eduardo. Um, I think he highlights uh, one of the um, high, very practical and pragmatic aspects of a, of a technology career is they tend to be, you know, higher salaried um, than a lot of other industry careers out there. And um, and you, you know, you, you're seeing obviously his his joy in that and his ability to be able. To do some of the things that he may not have in whatever career he had been following previously, um, and I, sometimes we don't talk about that. It's like we don't want to talk about money, but you know, it, we thought we see this in our job reports is that you know these are good, many different types of technology careers, and it doesn't just have to be the ones that you have a computer science degree for. But um, they they tend to start out at a higher rate and uh, and offer you quite a bit of advancement capability.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it can sometimes feel like a little bit of a taboo topic. Yes, to, we don't talk about it. But it is important. It's important for anyone out there seeking yeah. a job. And it's the reason that uh, a lot of people are looking at careers in technology. And, and I think that uh, it's important to highlight what you said that at entry level, you know, these are still really good paying jobs. Mm-hmm. A lot of the ones that kind of get eye popping headlines, you know, might be a little bit more advanced. And so you would need a little bit more training or a little bit more time on the job, a little bit more experience in order to get up to those. You know, those probably aren't the ones that you're just going to switch into directly out of some other career. But you can still switch into something or or get started with something that's really well paying, uh, and provides you that pathway to uh, even more financial stability. So it's a real part of technology careers. And, you know, part of the reason for that is the complexity of the job and the importance of that job to so many companies. Um, So it is good to hear stories of of people that are um, finding success there.
0: Yeah, it's it it beats getting out of college with a journalism degree and and starving, um, eating peanut butter sandwiches for like five years before you can pay
1: for not not, uh, not that you're speaking from personal experience. Oh no,
0: God, no, no, no. <laughs> All right,
1: well, uh, thanks very much for a, a great episode. Looking at your state of the channel report. Thanks as always to our producer Andrew McMillan and Carolyn. I will see you in a couple weeks on the next episode. Sounds
0: great.